Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Our guest is Kim Bays. She's a multifamily uh, owner and operator based out of Dallas, and they have some stuff in Houston with a really great story. Started out in 2011 with a 77 unit, extremely deep value add deal, um, and has seen all the war stories there are to see on multifamily. So she dives into some of that. Um, and then what I thought was really interesting was her progression over time running this business, starting a materials company uh, that they that they run today, a signage company being vertically integrated with the property management and uh, growing, the, growing the team to be able to support three to 8,000 units of multifamily in Texas. So really cool progression that she walks us through there. And then we also talk about some of the uh, things going on in the debt markets right now that, that, are, that are pretty tumultuous and how they're approaching deals. Um, and the headwinds that we're seeing and also the also the tailwinds that we're seeing. So deep experience from Kim. And uh, it was a pleasure to uh, to hear that, uh, how she's navigated uh, her company over the last decade plus. Before we jump in, quick note from our sponsors, DJE Texas, our company. If you're not seeing our projects and you would like to, you can sign up at DJETexas.com to get in our investor portal and see case studies and all that fun stuff. And then if you're an aspiring operator, you want to go out and put together your own apartment deals. We created apartmenteducators.com as the platform to do that. So it's ecosystem tools, connections, everything you need to plug into to go do your own large multifamily deals. And there's a free eight-part video course that I teach over to apartmenteducators.com. You can check that out. Okay, without further ado, let's get into our episode here with Kim Bays. Here we go. Kim, hello. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Devin. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for jumping on the podcast today. I'm excited to dive in and learn more about uh, your business, what you guys are up to in multifamily in Texas. Before we get into that, how about some background? How did you know what was your life like before multifamily? And what led you to this uh, to this business? Uh, sure. So I started in the retirement plan field actually after college, and so we used to design and administer uh, 401k plans and defined benefit plans. Worked for some professional organization in that field, um, doing some curriculum stuff for them on their education committee, and then. Um, you know, red rich dad, poor dad, started buying some single family houses, eventually moved into the multifamily space and, and it's been 11 wild years since then. So when was that when you guys first got into multifamily? Uh, August of 2011 is when we closed on the first property. So probably right about now is probably under contract, maybe last week or so, 11 years yeah. ago. Uh, so was, uh, was this, did you, were you born and raised in Texas? Uh, no, I actually grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Um, went to the University of Iowa, spent a couple of years in Cleveland, but um, moved down here almost 20 years ago now. So this is definitely home. I got you. So 2011, um, pretty, pretty cool time to be buying stuff. What was your basis on or per door on some of these uh, assets you guys were getting into back then? Just so um, The first one out. I think was about 20,000 a door. <laughs> the second <laughs> one was even lower occupancy. So I think that one was like 12 or 14 or something ridiculous. Um, right. Per door. What, what was the first, how big was the first project? 77 units. Okay. All right. So you kind of get your head around it. Capital raise is probably a million bucks, a couple million bucks, something like that. It, it was small. I mean, it was like a million dollars in total, but uh, my partner and I had a good chunk of that. So it was really only like, I think about 
uh, three or four hundred thousand that we really had to raise from outside investors. Gotcha. But you got your feet wet on a syndicate. Did you guys do a syndication or a partnership on that first project? It was. A, I mean, it was a syndication, but it was yeah. you know only a handful of investors. It was like six passive investors. So. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. And I, I know just by virtue of kind of running in you know similar circles that some of your early projects were. <clears throat> you know, had a lot of hair on them. Um, you want to you want to talk about kind of the approach on on some of those we could politely call deep value add type projects. Sure. I mean, I guess the second one was a good example. It was only fifty percent occupied when we bought it. Yeah. Um, you know, that was kind of what launched our materials business, which is part of our vertical integration structure. And so, because we knew we were going to need two hundred thousand square feet of flooring, we were fortunate to have um, a couple. He was American, she's Chinese national, um, went over to China with us and helped us source the flooring and some of the original products and kind of that's dramatically expanded over the years, but um, that's kind of where that started out. But uh, that project definitely had some hair on it. It was more or less, it seemed like a guy from Canada had done both the equity and debt raises and then his debt arm foreclosed on his equity arm and then he was in trouble with the SEC in Canada or SEC version of Canada, whatever. And so anyway, it was a mess kind of foreclosure-ish type thing when we bought it. Um, we bought it in um, December and in the prior, I think it was June, uh, the boilers for the property, it had two boilers, both boilers went out at the same time and they didn't fix it for 30 days. So you can imagine the high quality residents that we had left in that 50%. Right. Um, you know, there's only so many people willing to go without a hot shower for 30 days and, and actually stay there. So um, it, it, that was definitely an, an interesting project. Yeah, no doubt. What did you guys tell investors when you got like, you know, presumably no cash flow, you know, deeply distressed, just, Hey, we're, no distributions, but it should be good at the end. How did you guys position that? Um, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, once we, you know, we just positioned it exactly as that our goal is to get the capital gain. We're, we've got an excellent basis going into it. We know what it's going to cost us to renovate it. Yes, we've raised enough capital to cover the negative carry and then just move forward with that. Right, right. Yeah, and people were on board with that. Um, so let's, you know, how, how has your strategy evolved in the last 11 years since since 2011? We're talking mid-2022 right now. Um, are you still buying the deep value add stuff? How has the vertical integration inf influenced how you guys approach the business? What does that look like? Um, so I guess in terms of overall what we're doing, I, you know, the last deep value add that we did, we actually sold last summer. Um, that one had 200 out of 656 units hard down for well over a decade prior to when we bought it. Very little copper left in the buildings, even some main run electrical missing, those sorts of things. Was that in um, Dallas? Uh, it was, yeah. Holy moly. Okay. Um, so anyway, you know, definitely it's not that we can't do that, but uh, um, I have less interest in challenging areas anymore. So a lot of the things we've been buying are a little bit newer. Um, and if not newer, then definitely in stronger submarkets. Sure. And so you mentioned the materials business is part of your vertical integration. Are you guys doing the management as well? Or are you still using third party? We've always done the management in-house. So from the very yeah. beginning, always done the management in-house. Um, so I think that gives us a lot of hands-on control to be able to make small adjustments to the market and what's going on there, staffing, um, softwares, projects, rents, whatever it has to be. So we have a lot of detailed control on that. Um, we also have the construction team in-house that gives us a lot of visibility and 
structure in that regard because it's interiors are just extremely difficult to do so we've had to really kind of build systems out over you know a long time now to get to where that's done as efficiently as possible um, yeah. there's a lot of gcs that you know it, it's just it's a very difficult thing to do so um, i've encountered some new ones recently that maybe at some point we'll test out if we've got more stuff than our guys can handle um, but the, the ones that i tried years ago was not the greatest experience so built that internally um, we've also got our graphics and signage branding company um, that does all the monument signs the building signs floor plans you know virtual tours um, been working on some software development for a good bit to kind of automate some of the construction management pieces of the puzzle. Um, so there's there's just a lot of a lot of different features to it. So every time basically we can't find a vendor to do what we want done timely and at a cost that we like, we tend to figure out a way to build another company that will do it. Yeah, I love it. So you guys just spin up a new entity and hire some people and kind of off and running. You're 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 probably your own biggest client to start with. To start with, yes, but I mean, not on the materials business, for example, now, I mean, they obviously provide the logistics and supplies for the 10 properties that we have at the current day. Um, that, you know, that's varied over time as far as buying and selling a lot the past year or so. Um, but we've got 250 or 300 other properties that are currently serviced by that business, too. So we are now a much smaller um, piece of it. But yeah, right. start anything starting out new, you're always the, the primary customer and then, you know, build it out over time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How's for the supply, the materials business, how's stuff been for you guys for the last year with, you know, supply chain delays kind of being the headline for a lot of this stuff? It's been a challenge, but the great thing was that we were really ahead of it. So um, we, because we had stock and we had had some decent deep stock running into COVID, um, we were able to continue renovating all throughout the entire time. Um, that COVID was going on, which a lot of our competitors kind of put a pause on their business plan. We were able to continue executing the whole time. Um, there were some times when we were out of refrigerators, just like everybody else, but because we have direct distributorships with GE and Frigidaire, a distributorship with Train, we've got some a lot of domestic partnerships now, as well as foreign imports, um, we were able to really kind of mitigate that pretty well. I would say for the most part, we've been able to get what we need, um, or at least be able to get an alternate timely if we needed to at a reasonable price. Um, the shipping stuff has definitely, the shipping costs has really been probably the biggest impact to things. Um, when you've got something like a container full of lights and there's thousands of light fixtures on it and your shipping goes from 5,000 to 20,000 overnight, um, you have you know $15,000, but divided across 3,000 items, it's not that bad. Uh, whereas if you get to something where you have, you know, slabs of granite or something that's particularly heavy that you can only fit so many items on there and it's a pretty limited number, that's a, that those can be some pretty wild rides in terms of pricing. Yeah, I bet, I bet. So what, what all are you guys warehousing? Is it the whole interior renovation? Counters, you know, cabinet pulls, flooring, what, what's all in Basically that? everything for the interior renovation, appliances, you know, light switch plate covers, faucets, lights, um, all of those pieces. Um, we've started building some cabinets in-house and are going to expand that um, to actually, we've got some equipment coming in. Some of it has arrived already this week, some of it coming in next week and over the next couple of weeks um, that will make it really efficient for us to build cabinet doors. That's where a lot of the renovation is going to right now. And so, um, you know, we've been, tr we've been trying to work through that on just, we had some CNC machines and things because of other pieces of the business. And so we've been able to do that, but it's a very labor intensive process with the equipment that we had. So we've invested in a whole lot of new equipment that's going to come in, that's going to make it so that we can very easily make the five panel shaker doors quickly and efficiently. Um, and with some plans to grow that down the road, um, once we have additional space 
to expand into. Um, we have some partnerships right now for granite, but are working on acquiring a company that actually will do the granite fabrication and then start some fabrication on our own in other locations as well. So yeah, um, just kind of all of the pieces of it, anything that needs to get done um, on the interiors. We've also expanded a bit to cover things that are just general maintenance supply pieces that our sites can order from, um, you know, a couple times a month to just true up the stock and shops. So that, I mean, the biggest thing is make sure that we have as much um, cost control, but also mostly labor control over the renovation and the maintenance pieces of it. Um, a lot of money can get lost with people just running back and forth to Home Depot all day. So that's, right. um, that's, that's always been a big focus is to make sure that we've got the, the materials that we need when we need them, where we need them to make that happen. And so that's one of the big things, especially for the materials on the value add side, uh, we kit everything together in a single box so that everything you need for that unit is in one box. And so even beyond not having to run back and forth to Home Depot, you guys don't even have to be running across the property to the shop, you know, where there's a stack of light fixtures that somebody bumps into and then breaks two of them and, and all of those pieces. Yeah, I love it. I love that package concept. You're just dropping off in a unit. It's got everything. What's the, what's the website or how can people connect with the materials company? Materials businesses um, exist multifamily. So the website is exist, E-X-I-S-T-M-F.com. Or you can type out multifamily, but that's longer. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Very cool. So you guys obviously have a lot going on. You've done a lot of deals. I think it's like 27 deals at this point. Something right? like that. Um, the materials business, vertically integrated, property management. How has your role evolved since that 77 unit to, you know, and then how do you spend your day to day in the company? Obviously very different over the course of that time. Oh, extremely different. Um, I guess, you know, back in the 77 unit, uh, days was mostly officing out of one of the units on the property, you know, had a manager that was down in the office handling all the leasing and evictions and those sorts of pieces, but was probably doing the majority of the accounting and back office work, paying bills and things personally, yeah. um, selecting all the stuff, managing the renovation crews, cutting checks every Friday for hours worked and those sorts of pieces, um, you know, driving over to Lowe's and Home Depot and picking up various pieces that you needed kind of all of those things. And so now um, definitely try to be a much more strategic role. I mean, I, you know, I have, I have my fingers in a lot of different pots, but we've had a great team. So sort of as, you know, as various parts of the team are involved, evolving, I'll kind of uh, spend some time with each of them and um, pieces, but a lot of it is more um, approval roles. You know, once somebody, once our acquisitions teams identified a property that they like, kind of going through that, deciding whether or not it's the right one to, to move forward with, you know, um, general, expansion plans, um, those kind of things, but it's been, it's definitely, it definitely a transition and my week is different every week in terms of kind of where the need is and, um, what the greatest use of my time is at that point. Yeah, absolutely. So what is a, what is an ideal asset today that you guys are looking for? Vintage, location, size, that kind of thing. Well, today is an interesting time in the debt markets. Um, that's yes, for sure. So, yeah. I mean, I, I guess for us still, um, primarily looking for, you know, 90s and newer, but we'll consider 80s, um, oftentimes early 2000s and newer, uh, but that have kind of a first generation value add, if we can find that, otherwise that can have additional value add available, um, really staying in Texas markets at this point in time, um, just have more confidence in the business climate here to withstand recessionary pressures than in most areas of the country. So, it's also close to home. It's where we have all our logistics built out, where we have boots on the ground. And so um, that's definitely kind of the focus on that right now. Um, you know, we, we want to look for, for properties that can get that expansion 
you know, get the NOI growth is really is really still the goal. Um, debt markets are making that very interesting right at the moment to try to figure out where that actually can underwrite and how that's going to sort out. But um, yeah, optimistic that it'll come through. Right. How are you guys addressing that on the acquisition side right now? You've got proceeds down, you've got interest rates up, uh, rate caps kind of fluctuating all over the place. You know, what's been the approach recently for you guys with that? Um, it's, you know, obviously the rate caps are ridiculously expensive. They've never paid off once in the past 10 years. And, and, and it seems that some of them are about to. So we'll see. It's a, it's a very interesting market in that sort of sense. Um, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly how far the Fed can push things before the you know, before the ball rolls off the table kind of thing. And so, sure. um, and whether or not they'll know when it has to, to put the brakes on a little bit. So um, it's going to be an interesting time to watch and sort of figure out, uh, I think for the most part, being just really conservative in terms of what we think we can get on um, lending as far as any new properties that we're underwriting, because there is just so much of the lending market right now that kind of went to pencils down. Um, so making sure that we are comfortable with lower proceeds, you know, we're doing some interest rate sensitivity, pricing in the extra cost of any caps that we have to buy or not. You know, um, really at this point in time, fixed rate loans aren't much of a thing. Um, they're almost impossible to get. And even if you could get them, they'd probably like be at a 7% rate, which is worse, slightly worse than the worst case scenario you're going to get. So um, I think, you know, at the moment, unfortunately, you're kind of in that floating rate world and just kind of watching to see what happens, but being very cautious about, uh, about the deals that you go after right now. For sure. Are you guys putting financing contingencies and stuff on the on the on the offer side? Things have moved a lot more since the last time that we had um, actual offers going out. So yeah. um, at that point, you know, the last offers we were doing is still very much a hard money. There's no financing contingencies and things like that. However, right. I mean, there's but there's a lot of conversations, too. I'm seeing um, a lot of deals lately that have gotten awarded and then have fallen out. Um, so we're getting callbacks from brokers that have gone through the full process, but you know, they're, they're now saying, okay, well, I only want to go back to two or three people. Um, so we're getting some second looks on things. Haven't found one of those that made a ton of sense just yet. Um, and I think some of the things are going to just kind of pause a little bit for a couple months this summer to figure out really where the debt markets are going, like let them get kind of their footing back under them. Um, but I think, you know, there's also some sellers that are accepting some price retrades, even if they have hard money and even if there aren't really contingencies, if it's moved too much, um, I think there's some of that that actually is going on in the market, which is surprising. I mean, that's, it's been years and years and years since any of that was really a thing. So um, it's going to be an interesting time to watch through. You know, I'm uh, very, I'm sort of excited for it in some ways that sort of for years, we've been trying to hone operations and really um, find the ways that we can thread the needle when difficult times come. So uh, it'll be in some ways sort of a nice thing to, to prove out all of the theories and the work that's been done to make sure that we could be one that could survive through a more challenging time. Right. Um, so, and also yeah. if, the, if the labor market loosens up a little bit, that's not gonna entirely break my heart either. Uh, yeah, it, has gotten, it has gotten very hard to, to hire um, people, so. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, your, your debt terms, your your labor market, um, maybe some supply chain stuff, all headwinds right now. Tailwinds, of course, we've got, at least in Texas, this tremendous population and rent growth. What are you guys seeing in terms of tailwinds or things that are that are good in multifamily right now? I mean, rents are still growing at ridiculous rates right at the moment. Will that slow down a little bit in the next couple of months? 
possibly, probably, maybe not. I mean, the influx of people um, in Texas is just pretty astounding. And I think that that's what's driving up. There is a, I think there's a huge piece of it that is really supply and demand driven in terms of the rent increases that we're seeing at many of our properties. So I think, um, you know, if it gets, if the Fed drives it off a cliff too fast, um, then there could be some, some difficult times on some of that. But I think for the most part, uh, Texas is going to be very resilient in terms of actual rent growth, rent growth pieces. I don't think there's going to be huge falls. I don't think there's going to be huge dips in occupancy and those pieces, just because especially as this is impacting the entire country, it's making Texas even more appealing since there are jobs, there is a good economy. It is a good place for to do business. Right. Um, so I think a lot of the difficulty might actually not hurt us nearly as bad here as people, you know, flee areas that don't have a good economy, that don't have business-friendly things, that have more companies that are getting impacted by stuff and doing layoffs. So um, cautiously yeah, optimistic. Right. Bullish on Texas, no doubt. Um, so you've evolved, the company's evolved since 77 unit and you know, all the way through the stuff you guys are doing now. Um, talk to me about how you guys are structuring your capital stack and and working with investors, has that changed a lot over the years? Has it been the same approach? How do you, how do you approach that? Um, it really hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, obviously, you know, we've had some deals that were higher leverage, obviously going a little bit lower leverage now, just based on the timing of the market and, and where things are. Right. But um, still, it's syndicated equity, individual investors, you know, some that are at 50,000, some that are a couple million. Um you know, the, the Schedule A's have gotten long as the prices have gone up and we've started raising in portfolios and that sort of thing. So, you know, the last capital raise was just right around $70 million. So that was a lot of names on the list, but- oh, um, yeah. And that was for portfolio, 70 million equity. I mean, that was- that's That was for three properties okay. that we ended up kind of putting all together. I mean, it wasn't all purchased as a single portfolio, but gotcha. um, we like to try to raise it in kind of small pools. If we can find wow. a couple properties all at the same time, just gives a little bit of extra diversification. Um, and in that particular fund, one of the things I really liked about it, we've got a 2009 property in Houston and we've got two mid eighties properties in DFW. So, you know, a, a heavier physical value add, maybe quicker, shorter hold versus a little bit longer hold, but in a different market that needs much less physical value add and a little bit more management play. Um, so, we try to kind of pair them together a little bit, get a little bit of diversification, even inside a single investment where we can. Yeah. So you're there's times when you only find one property at a time. And so then, you know, you can't of always course. Happen. Yeah. On the portfolio deal, hundred K LP investment gets ownership in all three assets in that case. Correct. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's nice. We just did a similar deal. I think it was well-received that, uh, that, you know, one, one easy LP investment gets you, gets you all three and they've got some different characteristics there. So I like that. Sure. What are you guys trying to do kind of on the acquisition front? Are there targets for how many deals you want to buy in a year? Is it driven by, you know, selling a deal and trying to reposition equity? You know, what, what drives the acquisitions for you guys? A lot of it's definitely um, re redeploying equity on the things yeah. that we've sold. We had a very heavy transaction year kind of in the past 12 months, um, mm -hmm. starting with a sale last June, you know, ended up selling six, buying five and recapitalizing three over that course of time, um, mostly to try to get out ahead of any potential tax threats, but um, yeah. really got that plan executed Are out of the areas are, don't no longer own the properties that we don't want to, that we aren't willing to hold for the next couple of years or happy to hold for the next couple of years. Um, 
so kind of that was sort of the strategy on that piece. I think the biggest thing now is we've built an awesome team. Um, so really trying to keep, you know, the size we are is probably the small end of where we want to be with the team that we have. I think, you know, we kind of cover down at this size now that we've gotten some newer assets and a little bit higher rents. Um, but the team we have now with very few additional bodies at kind of the headquarters level could probably also scale to seven, eight, 10,000 units at a single time. I mean, I'd have to add a couple accountants or a couple, you know, little things here and there. But as far as for the most part, um, the infrastructure is kind of built for that 3,000 to 8,000 unit stretch. Yeah, that's perfect. So you've got your onsite teams, you've got your, your um, materials company, but what does the core corporate team look like for you guys today? Um, we've got, you know, accounting department, obviously. Um, I think we have got seven there um, that supports both the properties and then, of course, all the other entities as well. Yeah. Um, you know, several administrative staff. We've got a couple of construction coordination people, uh, a couple in investor services, several in acquisitions. Been fortunate this summer to have a couple of interns that are helping oh, nice. uh, get through some special projects and things that have been on the back burner. So uh, it's always really nice when you can chop some of the, that wood. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. So what um, what do you say to somebody that's that's wanting to, to get into this business as an operator, not just an LP, which is a great position to be in, but uh, you know, they, they really want to go out and go, and go do this, but they haven't done it yet. What, what do you say to that person? Um, I say definitely find some mentors, find some good people that you can talk to, that you can bounce ideas off of, start working on your relationships and building your team. Um, I, I would say even with 11 years of experience at the moment, you know, you're walking through a field of landmines a little bit. So um, be very cautious of what you don't know right now. I think that whole story might change and my advice to you might completely change in 12 to 18 months, depending on what shakes out with things. But right at this particular moment, um, hugely relationship driven, make sure that you've got some friends, some mentors, some partners, some something where you can get advice on, on those different pieces, because there's definitely lessons that I've learned along the way that I'm really glad I have in my tool belt now when things are difficult and most things have to go right in order to hit your numbers. Whereas, you know, back on that very first property, pretty much if any of five things went right, you know, you're going to, you're going to hit your goal. And if at least two of the five things went right, you're going to exceed your goal. So, I mean, that, right. that was a, that was a more comfortable thing than having to hit four out of five in order to hit where you want to go. And so um, I think that was be the biggest thing is just really watch your numbers, learn everything that you can find mentors, make sure that, Somebody else is kind of back checking stuff that you've, you know, talk to operators, talk to, you know, you know, with a third party management, some people use it, some people don't, but make sure that you understand enough of what they should be doing that if you're using third party management that you can really manage what's going on with that, um, that you know the right things to look for, so that it isn't one of those ones that slips through the cracks. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, one last question here, Kim, before we kind of wrap up. And same thing on the investor side, right? A lot of people fascinate. It's fascinating that so many people out there that have a wherewithal to invest in this stuff, they don't even know it exists. And I'm sure, you know, you've got an investor relation team now handling this. But, you know, what do you say to that person that uh, is capable to invest, you know, the doctor, dentist or whatever, high W2 that's never done a private placement, you know, what do you say to that person? Um, I suppose really the message is just anything else. I feel very comfortable having my money in real estate. I've obviously been at this a long time, but in order to secure the loans and sign on the loans that I have, I'm required to maintain some pretty high liquidity requirements. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you don't want to just 
being a coffee can in the backyard. So you got to put it somewhere. And so then there's some stock market stuff and other things. Stock market can be a pretty scary place. I mean, yes, you can make a lot of money, but at the same time, it can turn around really, really quickly. Um, I would say the stock market's just a lot less forgiving. Real estate's a pretty forgiving game. Um, you know, there's always a chance that interest rates, you know, can get you, but there are some interest rate caps and different arbitrage things that you can do to protect some of that. The loan timing is probably the thing that can get you the most. Um, but that's true. I mean, even if you go for a long-term loan, it's still a narrow window that you have to hit then. So who's to say that it's better in nine and a half years than it is in three years or whatever it happens to be. But those are kind of the pieces that can potentially be the downside of things. But otherwise, over time, real estate will grow out of it. As long as you are actually cash flowing and you don't have reasons that you have to sell right now because you're actually getting cash flow and you, ha you have some loan options in terms of either being able to take an extension or whatever it happens to be, you don't have to sell at a bad time. And so I think that's one of the big things, the big things with real estate is really, you have time to grow out of things. Um, nothing changes overnight. You know, Rents are not gonna go up 50% or down 50% overnight. Um, so I think those are kind of the bigger things. It's just a bit more stable investment. It is a lot less liquid. Um, I think in some ways, a lot less liquid is probably a really good thing for some investors, because I know yeah. that there's a, there's an awful lot of investors that after last week said, to heck with it, I'm going to sell my whole stock portfolio. This is ridiculous. I can't handle this. Well, the time to sell was like a month and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> then you could, then you could sell, but if you sell, if you panic and sell at the bottom, then you don't have the upside and there will be some upside coming. And whether that's, you know, next week, next month, next year, three years from now, eventually things will climb back out and whatever else. So I think um, that's, I guess, one of the other nice things about real estate being less liquid is you're less likely to panic and sell at the, at the bottom of the market and just hang in there and, and let it write itself and get calmed down and let the, let the waters calm and move forward. Yeah, I love that thought. I mean, there's something very unnerving about a portfolio whose value changes on a second to second basis. That's just a lot of mental energy to keep up with that up and down. And the real estate portfolio, I mean, you know, the value, I suppose, is changing on a day to day basis. But ultimately, it only matters if you sell or refinance. Right. Um, and it's just a slower moving deal, which means you're not obsessed constantly with the valuation like you might be with a stock portfolio or, or whatever the case is. Um, well, Kim, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you sharing a, a little glimpse into your company's very successful track record. If somebody listening wants to connect with you and your team, what's the best avenue for that? Sure. So on the investment side, um, related to properties, you know, any of those kind of pieces, investing in the properties or just questions about how we run things or anything else, reach out to invest at exppg.com. Um, that will get you in touch with our investor services team who can set you up on the portal if investing is your goal, but if not, they know the entire operation extremely well and can put you in contact with the perfect person to ask answer the question that you have. Um, on the materials import side, again, existmf.com. Um, you know, happy to talk through kits, signage branding anything that we can do for you uh to help along those things on properties that you might have awesome well we'll link to that in the show notes if you're listening you can click down to the description and click through to those uh kim thanks so much it was a pleasure to uh, talk to you today thanks for coming on thanks devin i really appreciate the opportunity all right take care thanks thank you for listening to the dje podcast for more information please go to djetexas.com